Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Spice Den Podcast. My name is Jacob, and I'm your host as I take you through this week in Star Wars, where we will be discussing the book Thrawn Alliances. Thrawn Alliances is the second in the trilogy, the new canon Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn, and we'll be analyzing that, but not before we talk about a little bit of other general Star Wars news and discussion. Just again to look at our schedule ahead, we have the new episode of Clone Wars, the launch of Season 7, airing this Friday, February 21st. Obviously, we'll be talking about that in our regularly scheduled Monday episode. Project Luminous, the new publishing initiative, will be announced on February 24th, that Monday. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be able to analyze that on our typical Monday episode that would release on the 24th. However, I'm going to try my best to do a kind of quick reaction post, maybe to have a special episode air on Tuesday. Uh, we'll see. I'm not sure how easy that's going to be. I'm going to be actually traveling for work that week, so it would be basically me go- working on Monday, going back to my hotel room, recording something real quick, and since I have my work computer, I don't have audacity, so it would not sound the best, but you know, maybe I could pump out a really quick like 10-minute reaction post to put on Tuesday. You can check out my Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on what my plans are for that. But yeah, we have Clone Wars and Project Luminous coming up within the next week, so it's really exciting there. You know, since we finished Thrawn Alliances, the next book I'm going to be tackling is Thrawn Treason, the third book in the trilogy. And then in addition, I've been going into Rebels Season 2 right now. So right now I'm episode 5 of 20, but I'm going to be traveling a lot more for work in the next couple months. So it might be a little slow for my progress on that, but my book progress should be pretty good. You know, if I finish this, I might try and take down the Queen Amidala book uh, since there's a prequel book coming out, uh, I believe in May, but we'll see. I don't know. We'll just kind of see what I have time for and uh, what I want to do next since we have a lot of time before the next Thrawn book is going to come out now. So I had mentioned uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm not sure if I, I think I talked about it in the last podcast as well, that in honor of Black History Month, I wanted to highlight a few good black characters in the Star Wars universe full transparency. I'm definitely a white dude, but it doesn't mean I can't help bring a spotlight to these characters. At least one of these characters you'll definitely know. Some maybe not so much, but I think in your free time, if you're looking for more Star Wars content, it would be it would be good for you to check some of these characters out. We'll start with the easy one. That's Lando. You know, everyone knows Lando. Great character. Billy D. Williams starting out in Empire Strikes Back. But I would encourage you to look just beyond the movies to see where Lando really shines. And in fact, my recommendation, I'm going to give a little poll list for all these characters. My recommendation for Lando is the Lando mini comic miniseries. It was released by Marvel, I think in 2015. All right, just pulled it off my shelf. Let's see. It was released by Marvel in, hmm, where's the date on this one? Yeah, 2015. Yeah, released in 2015 by Charles Sewell, great great uh, comic book author for Marvel. He's writing, I believe, the uh, Kylo Ren series right now. But it's a six-issue miniseries, and it's really great. It follows Lando on kind of a mission that goes sideways along with Lobot. And you see, honestly, like, Lobot's never a character I've cared about, but this book really made me care about Lobot. So, yeah, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend you check it out. You can get the trade paperback probably like less than 20 bucks. And I think it's honestly one of the better Marvel comic or one of the better Marvel Star Wars comics I've read. But yeah, you all know Lando. I don't need to go too much into him. Uh, just I'm real quick. I'm not going to talk about Finn or Janna, not because they're not great characters uh, and they not because they don't deserve to be spot, uh, have a spotlight put on them, but because I honestly haven't, I don't know much about them. Janna, obviously there's not a whole lot to know 
yet and finn i just haven't read a lot of the content he's been in i haven't read much sequel uh sequel trilogy era content uh that heavily featured him so i honestly don't know where to point you for him but good characters nonetheless the next character uh is aiden versio who is mixed i think uh her dad's white I mean, I'm not really sure how you define race in Star Wars, and I don't even want to try delving into that mess. But Aiden Versio is the main protagonist of the Battlefront 2 campaign, which, when it came out, a lot of people really hated because it was advertised as, you know, here you're going to play an Imperial Special Forces character, and everyone was really excited to play as the dark side, you know, be on the, be on the other side of the coin for once. But she flips. She flips alliances and becomes a rebel. Which, I'm actually just now starting the Battlefront 2 campaign. Uh, I started it last night. I've been playing the game a little bit. I got it probably a month ago. But, you know, I don't. I only have time for maybe an hour or two a week to play. Uh, but it's been fun so far. And I understand everyone being mad about that flip. Especially when it's advertised as an Imperial-based campaign. It makes sense why her character flips. Because everything going around her is crazy. And it's post-Endor. But, you know, I think it would have been better if you got... Because you only get, like, two missions with her as an Imperial before she flips. If you had, you know, a nice solid three or four missions to really get to know her character. And I'll see her on that side... Uh, a little bit more, I think it would have been better rather than such a quick turn. So, Iden Versio, if you are a gamer, definitely check out Battlefront 2. Despite all the mess with it at launch time with the loot boxes and the campaign uh, controversy, I think it's a really solid game now. It's I've enjoyed it quite a bit, and if you're not, you know, you can always watch a Let's Play, or if you really just don't want to deal with it, uh, you can check out the Inferno Squad book. There's a, yeah, an Inferno Squadron book that follows her character. I have not read it, but I've heard good things about it. And to round out our uh, trio of characters is Grand Admiral Ray Sloan. I would say I have a pretty good understanding of, of Admiral Sloan. She's a really cool character that uh, she runs, more or less is the head of the Empire in some regard after the fall of the second Death Star. She uh, takes over as the preeminent member of the, or preeminent leader of the Imperial Navy, or what's left of it running up into the Battle of Jakku, and I think it's just really cool, a cunning, tactical, do-whatever-it-takes-to-win kind of character who's really just, they're not even, I mean, they're not like the typical evil empire character that you come to know. She definitely is not a good person, but all she wants to do is preserve this order, preserve the structure that she knows uh, by whatever means necessary. Yeah, for the, if you want to learn more about her, definitely read the Aftermath Trilogy. Book 1, not the best. Book 2 and 3, I would say definitely worth it. It takes place between the fall of the second Death Star and the Battle of Jakku. Uh, so basically, the real end of the Empire. And spoilers for the last book, just skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear that. But she runs off and helps create what becomes the First Order. She leads the Imperial Remnant into the unknown regions of space... And what emerges, you know, 30 years later is the First Order. She was said to be in the running for Supreme uh, Leader before Snoke came out. So those are my Black History Month highlighted black characters. It's cool that we have a more diverse galaxy than we did in 1977 when, or in the first three movies, I think we had two women and one black person. So, I mean, there are aliens, but it's nice to see humans that are a little bit more diverse in the galaxy now in 2020. So anyways, with that out of the way, uh, we are going to jump into the main content of the episode, which is the book Thrawn Alliances. (laughs) 
So Thrawn Alliances is an interesting book. It takes place, obviously, after our first Thrawn book, uh, but it's not traditional that it just kind of follows up that story. It is a split timeline novel with part of it taking place during the Clone Wars and part of it taking place during the era of the Empire. The, uh, I guess, modern uh, storyline follows Thrawn and Vader who have been sent on a mission in deep space uh, to track down a disturbance felt by the Emperor. And the past timeline follows a mission where actually Anakin Skywalker and Thrawn team up to try and rescue Padme. It's a really cool book that, you know, you see these two timelines that have parallels. Obviously, it's the same two characters, you know, considering Anakin and Vader. And you get to see the the similarities and differences between how they interact with each other. I thought it was a really cool book that just tied a lot of things together. You know, you can see the web begin to weave together. You tie together Clone Wars content because the, the Clone Wars timeline takes place pretty soon after Ahsoka leaves the Order in season five it ties together batu and the galaxy's edge theme park and the dark spire or the black spire outpost uh, ties together with the rebels series and then obviously with the first thrawn book so you get to see all these things kind of weave together in cool and interesting ways i think i'm going to try and talk about the two storylines independently although you know, they do take place you know you're reading them parallel so it'll go one chapter back and forth Honestly, when I'm reading these sorts of books with these multiple uh, vantage points, uh, I kind of like, it seems like every time I read one, when I start a chapter, it switches uh, switches perspectives. I'm like, I don't really want to read this one. And I'll get three or four pages in. I'm like, okay, no, I'm, I'm back in. I'm, I'm good with this. And then by the end of the chapter, I'm like, wait, no, I don't want this to stop. And then it goes right back to the other vantage point. Um, and I, like, I, just, I felt that pretty strongly with this book. I'd be like, I don't want to, I don't care what Padme's doing, which I would say she's probably the least interesting, uh, least interesting narrator, but uh, the definitely the Thrawn and Vader were really cool and Thrawn and Anakin were also interesting at times to follow and see what they were doing. I will say at times it was kind of hard to follow what they were doing, especially in like the battle sequences. It was trying to put it plainly, but it just was hard to visualize and follow what was actually happening at times. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm getting the, the overall story is pretty you know, it's not hard to pick up, and if I miss a little tiny detail in a battle, it is it is what it is. So in the prequel timeline, Padme is sent out to, uh, she had a, one of her handmaidens go out on a mission to Batu, which is obviously where the Galaxy's Edge Park is, and she has to go track her down. It's so far in the outer reaches of the galaxy that it's hard to even send communications. So she doesn't know, you know, there's a big delay and she doesn't know what's going on there with her and Anakin won't be able to really get in touch with her. But she goes off trying to track down a lead and then after she goes missing, Anakin has to go find her, which, you know, is the plot of at least three or four different story arcs in the Clone Wars series. What ends up happening is her handmaiden tracks down a secret separatist production facility out in the outer reaches near Batu, and is tasked with trying to shut it down. Padme arrives, find that she had died, actually, uh, on this mission, and then tries to take care of it herself and ends up getting captured, sort of. When Anakin arrives out on Batu to try and track her down, uh, he is met with Thrawn. We don't actually see him face-to-face first. They interact in their ships, and when they land on the planet, they go and try and team up in order to solve the problem. Thrawn, as always, is very cunning and kind of knows every step that needs to be taken, while Anakin is a little more rash and straight to action. I think this book did a better job at making it 
feel less like an Encyclopedia Brown book uh, than the first Thrawn uh, book. At times I felt it was always like, Thrawn realizes that he's breathing heavily and therefore he knows that this is what is going to happen. Whereas this book, you're kind of almost left to figure out with the uh, other characters around Thrawn what his thought process is. And I think I enjoyed that a little bit more. When you're not seeing that constant thought process, I guess it can kind of come off as a little fake or a little forced with how ridiculously smart he can be at times. But I kind of prefer it to the latter uh, or to the former. So anyways, Anakin and Thrawn go and they find that Padme is chased off after a separatist facility on another planet in the area. It's a mine. There's a mining facility nearby and a production facility. And they break in, get captured, of course break out and go to try and destroy it when they find out what they've been building this whole time they've been building more or less invincible super battle droids so this planet is special because it has a cortosis mine which cortosis it's a material it was in the old canon a lot actually but it's a rare material that you can splice and uh, weave in with other armor and it more or less absorbs or redirects energy so it'll short out a lightsaber or it can absorb a blaster bolt with little to no damage. Really no damage, honestly. So you can see how it might be a problem where lightsabers and blasters can't kill these giant hulking tanks of a droid. Yeah, they've been taking the cortosis from the planet and using it to put in these battle droids. And they also find that they've been using it to weave into a set of clone trooper armor. So in addition to having these battle droids that are near invincible, they also have some armor that they can put on humans to make them blend in with the clone army and also be invincible to blaster fire. Anakin, of course, quickly wants to destroy it all, but Thrawn knows that this is not the way, that it wouldn't work to just destroy the factory because they would take what they learned and do it elsewhere. They had to undermine their efforts without letting them know it. So they had R2 re-establish the production facility, the production line for the battle droids, to have their blasters be interacting with the cortosis weave. So whenever it fired a blaster, it would redirect that energy to fry its circuits. So it's kind of like a little, you know, it's a little like convoluted. So when they produce these battle droids, they would come off looking fine, but they would slowly more or less fry themselves from the inside out. With the armor, it's a little more difficult. You can't really, you know, it's not like they could make it so the armor would crack in half or anything like that. Or that there would be a piece of armor that would stretch around the blaster that it would hold. Um, so they kind of just decided to destroy that. I'm not sure why the logic, why that logic doesn't hold. That would be a problem. But they destroy it. Uh, the, it was actually a Duke Solha, which was a different Serenian who was running the facility. You know, Sereno being the homeworld of Count Dooku. And he had planned to use this armor to allow some separatists to invade the Jedi Temple and the uh, Senate Chambers on Coruscant. With it all destroyed, they, you know, this is, takes place over a grand chunk of time, but I don't think there's too much that is greater, has greater implications for the prequel storyline. So they eventually escape. Uh, Thrawn actually stole a, a shield generator from the facility for his people. That's what he was there for. He was helping Padme because it was convenient for him, but he was actually there for the shield generator. Uh, so that was his mission. They escape. And Anakin is furious. These Clone War era stories, you always get those little flashes of Vader. And he goes and wants to destroy the mine on the planet. And they have a local with them who's kind of helped Padme through all this. They're already mad that they are destroying the factory. It's not their fault that the Separatists came there. The factory predated the Separatist occupation. 
And so they've made them lose their jobs, and now he wants to go destroy the Cortosis mine, which can make more people lose their jobs and not really leave anything left for them. They're just a planet out in the middle of nowhere that the war came to them, destroyed their people. But Anakin goes, and he just like, don't worry about it, let's get all the people out of the mine. I'm just going to cave it in, cave in the tunnels, and we're going to leave. And we'll take you somewhere else just so you can start your life over on Batu. And as they're flying away, he sets a few charges and he goes to blow up. And he says, even says he has experience blowing up mines, so he knows how much to set. But it does not, it, it goes absolutely catastrophically. Since there was cortosis in the mine, it redirected the blast straight down and became a geologically active area with magma spurting up from the core, clouds of ash flying everywhere, and more or less just destroying the area. Even though the mine was never going to be functional again, now it's tossed up ash and it's going to destroy the water supply, it's going to destroy the air, and he's pretty much just doomed these people. This mission in which Anakin and Thrawn are working together and Thrawn is trying to more focus Anakin and his abilities, that's how they get this background which will inform the original trilogy timeline story. At the beginning, we're uh, shown or told that this takes place after Rebels Season 3. Um, it only makes references to Thrawn's failures, so I'm not there yet in the story, but I kind of get what they're saying. It'll make a little bit more sense once I actually watch that part of the show. The Emperor has detected a disturbance in the Force on the uncharted areas of space in the galaxy, and he sends Thrawn and Vader to take care of it. Of course, they're flying in the uh, Chimera, and they go to Batu, or at least they attempt to. However, they keep having issues jumping in hyperspace to get there, and they can't make it. So they have to more or less take a back route where they fly to Mokiva, uh, which is the place where they had that droid production facility, and then they go from there to Batu. When they get there, they run in with some Darshi. The Darshi are a different species from the Unknown Region, and they have a few different feuds with them in uh, Black Spire Outpost. Uh, but they find out that the real culprit here, the real threat, is the Grisk. And the Grisk are a warrior species from the Unknown Regions, and they are known for conquering and going around and just trying to rule that area of the galaxy. And they've helped lead to this disturbance in the Force. Thrawn is kind of the whole time pushing Vader. Vader obviously only wants to serve the Empire and serve the Emperor's purposes. However, Thrawn is always looking for this balance where he can both serve the Empire and serve his people, because we're out in the Unknown Regions where the Chiss are from. So he's trying to find ways that he can benefit everyone. However, Vader is just like, we, we came here, we need to take care of the threat, and we need to leave. However, the threat presents itself to be a little bit more interesting than what you might think. It's not the Grisk that are the disturbance in the Force. The disturbance in the Force are Chiss children. You see, the Chiss, they don't have traditional navigation when it comes to using their ships, because the world out, the part, that part of the galaxy is so hard to navigate. That traditional navigational uh, system can't help them jump quite as much. The way they figure out how to get around is with, they have force-sensitive children. So it's explained that females in the Chiss are, there are some, when they're born, are force-sensitive, and they actually lose that ability as they get older. But what they do is they stand in the helm and they help direct where the jump is. So they use their ability to see into the future and see all of the obstacles in their way and how that will affect their jump and then tell them where they need to jump and taking all that into consideration so they end up at their proper destination. The Grisk have been kidnapping them in order to try and help fuel their expansion so they can figure out ways to 
chart out the unknown regions. And of course, Thrawn wants to rescue these children as they are part of his own species. Vader just wants the disturbance taken care of, but he doesn't want to go as far as to attack the Grisk, which is what Thrawn wants to do. So an interesting thing with Thrawn and his treatment of the Grisk is, especially towards the end in the final battle with him, he kind of embodies that factor of him that made him so interesting uh, as, part of, as opposed to the rest of the Chiss in the original trilogy. Uh, well, I guess in this trilogy as well as the Legends books now is his willingness to do a preemptive strike because that's pretty much why he's at least why we're told that he's sent away from the ascendancy but he does it here again is when they move in vader's not really happy about it but they move in to try and push them back and cease their expansion efforts in the unknown regions so he goes in attacks them does his you know typical tactic things takes back the rest of the children and that is that thus ending mainly a threat to the Chiss Ascendancy, but also tangentially a threat to the Empire as well. Another interesting thing we should point out is Thrawn definitely knows who Vader really is. He makes many pointed remarks while they're together about his involvement with Anakin and how that's Vader. He's be like, yeah, I told you about this thing. It's like, you didn't tell me anything because he told Anakin, not Vader. I also thought it was interesting how Vader always, and when he's narrating, he refers to Anakin in his internal monologue as the Jedi. Uh, like I think it's a nice touch where he doesn't want to init- like he doesn't want to fully recognize it, and he wants to distance himself from Anakin's actions. Uh, I don't know if that holds up in the Lord of the S- Lords of the Sith book that I read, though. I don't think he does that because he also, you know, I also noticed when I was watching um, Rebel season two, is he when he first sees Ahsoka, he calls her the Apprentice. He's like, the apprentice lives, but he definitely calls her by her name in the Lords of the Sith uh, when he's thinking about her. But I think it's it's a nice little detail that I like. Overall, I thought Thrawn Alliances was a good book and I would recommend it. I would say the, uh, I would say the Empire stuff, it ranks above the Thrawn book for me, the uh, first Thrawn book. I would say the prequel era stuff probably ranks below that book though. So hit or miss at times, but overall I really enjoyed it and would recommend it. So that's why I'm starting on Thrawn Treason starting probably tomorrow. Yeah, just a quick recap again. Going forward, next week we'll talk about Clone Wars Season 7 premiere. Then after that, we're going to be reading some, Re- we're going to be watching some Rebel Season 2, reading Thrawn Treason, as well as talking about Project Luminous. So we have quite a busy slate going forward, but I think we're up for the challenge. Thanks everyone for listening to me ramble. And thanks as always to Gramble for providing our music. If you want to reach out to me more, you can follow me at... Spiced and Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And as always, may the force be with you.